Welcome to episode 148 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings, and 10 years ago, I gave up my live streaming career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary singer, songwriter, and musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And for this episode of the podcast, we are coming to you live from the Water Rats in London. Look at that. A brilliantly well-trained audience. Thank you. Now, this venue is pretty famous. It hosted Bob Dylan's very first UK gig in 1962. The Pogues' first gig in 1982. You're probably there, Peter, I think, for that. Uh, You might have been, yeah. Um, And Oasis's first London gig in 1994, along with a roll call of other household names throughout the years. On this episode of the podcast, I am joined by a photographer who captured images of the Star Council before we even knew that they would be the Star Council. Now, I'm aware that there are plenty of fans of the jam in the room, so this might not be the most popular of guests at times, right? But <laughs> you know, please give him some leeway. <laughs> if you look at those sleeves of those early singles, that Café Blur album cover, the first time you saw Paul and Mick together in France, snaps taken before the band had even been revealed to us. And he also took amazing, incredible photos of music icons such as Madonna, Iggy Pop, Marvin Gaye, Joe Strummer, David Bowie, Jagger, Depeche Mode, Herbie Hancock. The list is endless, my goodness me. Ozzy Osbourne, and we'll get to that story in a bit. And of course, the best band in the fucking world, The Jam. Please welcome my guest, Peter Anderson. Now, Peter, here we are live in London. How different is the London now to the London when you arrived? Because as people will hear in a second, you're not a native from these parts, right? I've spent more of my life in London than I have anywhere else. So I think I'm from London. You call yourself a Londoner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You came down from Glasgow in what, 80, 78, 78, 79? Yeah. Okay. And what was London like then compared to Glasgow? What was the difference? Why did you come? I came, um, you know, from a... Fairly, at the time, fairly miserable city. And although not all completely miserable, but a lot of it was miserable. And it was, um, came to London, bright lights, big city. That was it, the story. It's a real cliche. And there was so many, um, people have, from all over the world will come to London. And that's what makes London so good. It's a sort of real cosmopolitan city. And I think it still goes on and keeps going on. The fact that, you know, in all the dreadful sort of political upheaval we have, it's that London is, a city full of a lot of different people that got on with each other a lot of the times. And that's what I loved about London. I still love about London. The one thing for me when I came to London from Glasgow was that, you know, I was really very much a sort of music fan. And in Glasgow at the time, there was a, a really odd sort of bylaw that no landlord could charge admission to a pub. So basically, the pubs all had a guaranteed drinking clientele, so they didn't need to go on entertainment. So there was no bands in pubs. And I came to London, and there it was in front of me, everywhere I could go. I could go to the, you know, all the pubs around Islington or Camden or wherever, and there'd be amazing bands playing. Just go there, and it's so exciting. And, you know, from being in Glasgow, this thing about the only music I ever really saw was occasional things that sort of, specialist places but um, it was just big gigs in the what used to be called the Greens Playhouse then became the Apollo which is a massive big venue of, of you know which I saw all the exciting bands at the time in the, the late 70s and it was um, you know seeing Blondie and television The Clash a lot of them all it was so exciting so to come to London and go to, to a gig in a small pub you know the size of this it 
was brilliant. So I just started taking a camera with me and um, made photographs. Now we'll talk about some of these stories in a second with the camera, but the, the photography was a thing back in Glasgow as well, right? You'd gone to, no? So it's just something you picked up in London? Yeah. But you knew what you wanted to work in the arts in some way. I'd been to art school in Glasgow, which is quite exciting. Actually, that was one of the places where I saw a very exciting band and completely the excitement of what should have been in Glasgow, but it was so rare to see. And it was like, I saw a band called Johnny and Self Abusers and, um, you know, and Jim, Jim Kerr of Johnny and Self Abusers did somersaults and backflips up the wall. Johnny and Self Abusers became Simple Minds. Oh, no, I didn't know that. There's me laughing away at the name. That's incredible. Um, and you saw the jam back in Glasgow. Yeah. So you were a fan of that type of music, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I also saw the jam in Manchester and, probably 78 or 79 and I was really I was just quite impressed with it the fact that there had been all this sort of punk things around and then there was a few other a few other bands would stand out that weren't punk for example you know it's seeing television in Glasgow but television being you know almost booed off because they were just so different and they, they were just all in their dark suits and things but then the opposite of that was to see the jam in Manchester so exciting but they were all in red suits <laughs> and that was quite good and the music scene in London I mean it's like gigs every night oh yeah gigs all the, all the time yeah all the time so what made you start thinking I'll, I'll sneak in my camera I'll start taking shots I'd actually enrolled at a, a college course and it was very much a sort of um self-structured course I suppose so you had to make up what you wanted to do and and I decided that I wanted to make photographs I, I imagined that I probably wanted to be a fashion photographer but you know I wasn't involved in fashion I didn't really know how to go about doing that and um, I just decided I want to make photographs of people in London and I think you know I was a music fan I love music so it was really exciting and easy to go and um, go to a pub, see a band and make some photographs. And then very quickly I turned it into a profession, which was um, amazing, actually. Isn't it? I like the fact that these are bands that you would have wanted to see anyway. Yeah, oh yeah, very much. And then and, uh, bands I would want to see anyway, but also there'd be a lot of bands that I would never imagine of seeing, but I was given the opportunity to see them because I was sent out to make some photographs of them. Yeah. And, that, and that's amazing. And that sort of continued for, you know, uh, quite a long time, really. We'll talk about... I mean, literally going all over the world, taking photographs of huge stars. But let's talk about um, that first paid gig. How did you first come about selling your photographs, doing this for a bit of cash? I'd sat in, you know, I said, going out to the pubs and clubs and making a few photographs. And I decided that, you know, maybe there was a way of, I, I not really any business sense or anything, still don't have, but um, I still, I just thought that, there must be some way I could find a way of getting these photographs used. So I actually went to the NME office and I had a bundle of photographs in my dam, probably in a bag or something like that. And, um, you know, really fortunate that I saw the assistant editor at the time and showed him photographs I had. And he said, oh, you went to that gig. We need that photograph. You know, in two days' time, that, that photograph was um, published in NME. And, um, and it was actually... a. a it was a two-tone gig and it was the Body Snatchers in um, Camden Electric Ballroom and um, and supporting the Body Snatchers was the Nips and um, the Nips was um, Shane yeah, McGowan. Yeah. And, um, so from having done that and they liked his photographs I had and published them, then you know next week I, I got a phone call where I go and do a job. I think it was probably a bit of a sort of test to see if I could deal with it and I did deal with it and I suppose the sort of in hindsight if I think about it it was quite it was really exciting, but it was also quite nerve-wracking because I had to make some photographs of the stray cats, 
and I had to meet them before a gig and it was in Hogmanay and I wasn't very sure about Hogmanay and you know where I wanted to be but I didn't think I wanted to be at that particular gig because I didn't really know that much about it all and, but I went I met the Stray Cats made the photographs in a stairwell at the back of the, the venue in Victoria and it was a cover story in NME so that started it so once I had had a cover story then you know every week I was given jobs and soon started it I was out and about and away from just all the excitement of the pubs but I was having to find a way of um, working with journalists and going finding bands and making photographs and then quite quickly after that I started more or less sort of travelling around the world making photographs for NME which is amazing really a really amazing time because the photographs were used so so well in that that paper and I think it was quite quite inspiring for a lot of people actually not just from the point of view of the music it was also enemy at that time i think early 80s was um a newspaper but it was um it didn't cover just the the pop or the rock um news events it, it covered a lot of politics and fashion and um yeah yeah it was quite quite inspiring thing but it was also before all the sort of sunday supplement type papers would have music news and before all the teenage magazines came out with music news and so it it was a place where people went for music news. It was either Enemy or Melody Maker or Sounds in, um, in this country. And, um, you know, but gradually, I, you know, I did also work for a, other papers, which would be in New York. There was Spin Magazine. I worked for New York and did quite, yeah, quite a lot of things. Music press at the time was like your Bible and it came out weekly. So the amount of content they're having to churn around every single week. Yeah, and I, I think when I mentioned the thing about I, I, which I, in hindsight, I really liked the idea that the Enemy really did cover politics and you know and that leads on to the fact that you know people like Paul were totally involved in politics and you know I'd be sent to cover a um, rock against racism convention in Trafalgar Square so I was taking photographs of people who were politicians standing talking and so I wasn't just at a, making photographs of a band around the corner and, and that, that was that was quite exciting really I'd be sent to you know in the early days he was brilliant in London and did a lot for London as was I would be sent to make a portrait of Ken Livingston and that you know it's all really good stuff actually really interesting how did you feel when the jam came to an end did you feel that they I mean they, so, so many people in this audience will talk about the jam being their band I'm guessing it wasn't a similar thing for yourself right because you're seeing I mean you're seeing different bands every night for goodness sake I wouldn't say I ever really became a a fan of, of, of any particular band. I love so many bands. I love so much music and I loved a lot of different attitudes about it all. And I didn't become a fan, but deep down, I suppose I really loved punk music and I loved guitar music and I still do. And, um, the jam never, you know, as of when I was being, having all these commissions for, um, enemy and I was never commissioned to photograph the jam, but it was, it was, you know, it was near the end. It was 19, it was 1980. I started working in enemy, so it was almost becoming near the end of the jam, but I never encountered them, so to speak, except for one commission where I had to make live photograph of the jam. And it was probably almost their last gig and it was in the national ballroom in Kilburn, probably 82, 81, 82 or something. You know, it was a typical sort of thing of going to see a band, loving the idea of the band, but still had to make a photograph. And the National Ballroom in Kilburn, not an easy place to make photographs. And, and, and it was just a bit like, I don't know, maybe some of you were there. And um, I don't know, but everyone was just like jostling at the front. And, and that, that's the same thing. You go with a camera and you're jostling at the front, but you're trying to block people's view to try and make a photograph. It was just the way that you had to take part and be part of the 
tried to make the photograph. And so I, I would never really go to gigs with a lot of equipment. I would always just want to go with a camera if I could. Sometimes I would have to use a flash because it was so dark. And I remember the, the National um, in Kilburn wasn't a very didn't have very good lighting at all and there was no digital photography so if you're using film in a camera there was difficult there was obstacles involved you know that a digital camera phone can make amazing photographs it can capture so much light that an old style camera with film hard to do sometimes especially when you're photographing a moving subject and you're moving yourself you're dosing the crowd with the camera like this and the, the band's playing <laughs> and moving and, and yeah it's hard but um, I actually did make a photograph of um, Paul from that gig that I actually like and is this the one where he's got Lonsdale yeah. as a, on his so yeah really cool like black t-shirt Lonsdale writing on it's really cool but you're also one of the few people who got photos with Paul of that gap and Actually, probably, if you think about it, the only time really where Paul was prob- like, almost like without a deal if you, or without a band, if you like. So that gap where the band, the, the jammer split, the announcements happened, and then there was a, um, the Christmas, so 1982 Christmas, double issue of the of NME, right? And Weller's on the front cover, but the jammer no more. The Star Council haven't yet been revealed, announced. You've not done any work with them. So this is Paul on his own. And that, that was quite interesting because it was a, it was a, Special edition of Christmas edition of Enemy, and they did at that time, and they made a big deal about it, and they made it twice as thick, and they actually they actually printed it. It was one of the you know the early covers that are printed in color because Enemy had always been black and white, and and they started printing things in color, but it was not not brilliant. The technology wasn't there, so the the print and they did color wasn't brilliant for the first year or so. And I was asked by you know commissioned by Enemy, would I make a photograph of Paul Weller for this Christmas issue and it was to be something special because it was a Christmas issue and so it wasn't a a story where it was um, following a new release or news of what the jam were up to or whatever because the jam it was definitely decided the jam wasn't had gone I think and as, as well as the fact of I, I was to make a photograph for the Christmas special of Enemy cover it was also a sort of um, slight you know, a sort of introduction manipulation by the PR officer at Polydor who suggested that maybe it would be quite good for me to meet Paul and, and I think it was that. It was a test to see if I could get on with them and then and then they would ask me to make photographs when the style council happened. So obviously it was a it was quite a fun thing to do because Paul had this idea that we should make photographs and it was a, a sort of um parody and the whole idea of the Avengers and um, so I met him in central London, Polydor record label office and it was not particularly good weather, but not too bad. And we decided it would be quite good to go outdoors and just make some photographs. So we did all this, improvised all these photographs of he with his partner, Jill, in ambush around corners and I would be sneaking around behind him and <laughs> making quick snaps of them, dashing from one imaginary scenario to another. And, and then we'd do photographs at the sort of Barbara Hepworth statue of down by Victoria where Paul would be posing with a bowler hat and an umbrella and, and then the whole culmination of it was we went back to an office and got the bottle of champagne and the bottle of champagne was sort of thrown down the table and the bowler hat and the bunches of flowers. It was all a big sort of spoof and fun thing and you know and, and from my point of view it was quite good fun doing the whole thing. All these jobs it, you get your head into a job and you, you've got to do it. You've got to keep thinking this is not just a total 
fun laugh you've got to make sure you get the photograph at the end of the day so there's always that side of it but I did really get on well with Paul and Where did that idea come from? The, when we talk about Avengers I, I should explain our younger listeners this is an Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk and things like we do have a couple of younger listeners this is the, the Avengers of the 60s, 70s John Seed and all that right? Was that Paul's idea? Your idea? Paul's idea Paul's idea Yeah yeah Do you know why? Did you ask why? No, I don't, I don't remember asking why. It was just sort of, um, it was really good to actually go and meet somebody who has an idea that they want to do something. Because quite often it could be imagined that there would be a, a lot of art direction and photographs of musicians at that time. But there wasn't. An awful lot of the stuff was just busked and nobody really commissioned people all that well. And so you just had to, well, for me, the side of things I worked at, it was just a case of meeting somebody to make a photograph of them, have to improvise on the spot of the scenario we were in and um, probably still what had to be got out of the job at the end of the day. This was brilliant. It was like, go and meet Paul Weller and he has this idea he wants to do something and he's already got the props. He's got the, <laughs> he's got the umbrella and the bowler hat and um, yeah, it's a, you know, exciting and we just go out and do it and it's London. One of the things I liked reading in research about your approach is that you're always really collaborative with the artists, sometimes to the detriment of the record company, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not just you're coming in with your vision and you're putting your stamp on it. It's actually, you want to work and you worked a lot with uh, Simon and Paul when we get to the Star Council. It wasn't just you, right? No, I, th- I think the Star Council photographs were very much improvised at the end of the day, but they all had a starting point and the starting point was probably a meeting in a cafe with um, Paul and um, Paolo Hugh and Simon Halfen, who was a designer, and it would just all be talked about of what we're going to do. And quite often the conversation didn't need to go very far. It would just say, all right, we're doing it this day then, go and we'll do it. And that was it. And uh, and the results are, there's a lot of photographs of the Stell Council in that first two years of their existence. And they were used so well, and they're just all over the place. There was fly posters, there was large fly posters, there was um, flyers, adverts and magazines you know there was special editions of records and marketing that went to japan quite a lot and it was not always worked out a specific photo session was for a record it was quite often quite loose it was just when there was an opportunity to go and make a lot of photographs they would all be done so they weren't necessarily going, here's single number one, this is what we want to do, here's single number two. A lot of these, and we'll go through some of the artwork, um, a lot of these were shot out of sequence in terms of when the release came. Exactly, yeah. So let's talk about that first trip. So Northern France, and we're still not quite sure where, neither of us can, neither of us read from research or Peter from memory, remember exactly where. So this is a, the next job we're going to see if we can work out. But Northern France, and this is before the Star Council have been revealed. Nobody knows about the band. Have you heard any of the music or...? Um, not at that point. No, you didn't know anything. So you just knew you were going to Northern France. I just knew we were going to Northern France and it was an entourage of us all and we were going and we would um, make photographs and make up some ideas that went along. But at the same time, you know, I knew how we could work probably by the way that I would work. And some of it, apart from, there were some specific photographs made which were... And it, it was in a, a very quiet town, northern France. I can't remember. It was somewhere near Boulogne. It was winter, January, end of January, and it was cold and grey and miserable, and <laughs> the day didn't last very long. You might as well stay there. But it was, it was actually to be, to be doing something different. It was to be not in London. It was to be European. No distractions. It was just to go and make photographs. Can you remember who went on the trip with you? Quite a few people went. There was um, Simon, the designer, went. There was Paul and Mick, and there was um, 
I can't. I don't think Paula went because Paula Hewitt was like Paul's best mate, but also enemy journalist at the yeah, time as well, right? Yeah. So, and I'm guessing Paul's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, um, a few people from the record company. Paul's manager, and okay. um, it's quite secret, though, isn't it? So, I mean, these days you'd have had to sign like an NDA to not reveal that this because nobody knows about the Style Council being a band yet. So you're, <laughs> but some of these shots got and purposely leaked. You would have thought, but some of the shots got leaked, and it was just the pool bit. We haven't yet seen Mick. We didn't know Mick was teaming up with Well or anything. But the way I quite liked making photographs at the time, I suppose I was quite in, I was quite interested in documentary photographs. So I, you know, mentioned that the fact that I would um, go to gigs and all the small clubs and pubs in London and make photographs of bands, but I was also really interested in making photographs of just everyone in the pub. So I, I, I had quite a lot of photographs that um, gradually get used and you know think that for some situations people would be beginning to have some sort of identity you know it's like you know the one that i mentioned one of the first um photographs that used it was i went to this um two-tone night which was the body snatchers played at which was in camden and so that was the beginning of people having an identity and then maybe the next week i would be making photographs in canning town of the angelic upstarts and so it all be the, the sort of heavy punks there and so i would make photographs of the punters as well as the bands which was sort of a thing that became at the time nobody was really interested in but it suddenly became an issue a few years later and suddenly there was all these magazines like The Face and ID sprung up and ID had the identity photographs of somebody being stopped in the street and photographed what they're wearing today and, you know, are they involved in some sort of fan or a cult or whatever. And it's sort of early days I had photographed quite a lot of people just like that. So going and doing a photo session with this mysterious jam, not style council, not jam, apart from trying to make some photographs of Paul and Mick as if it was a definite photo session for some sort of marketing. I also would, we would just hang out. So short days, cold, we'd go to a bar. There was still this sort of lingering imagery of what everyone did in a bar or whatever, the imagery of what could have been mods or whatever and so I, there was photographs of um, Paul and Mick as pinball machines and photographs of them in a cafe and you know there was photographs of you know, the, the French locals at the bar and I would just get Paul to just sort of lean in by the bar and he would have a cup of coffee and like that at the bar and, um, and there were drinks as well but so it was very much a sort of I used to work a lot I suppose I've said you know make documentary photographs but also made photographs where I quite liked the idea of um which again became popular afterwards, but not at the time. But um, the way that I quite like to work, it was almost like I was um, making a, what I used to call it, an organized snapshot. So I loved the idea of just sort of capturing a moment of people. So it looked like a snapshot, but it was organized to do that. So it was very much organized that Paul would be at the bar with a cup of coffee in a, cafe, in a pub, talking to the guys behind the bar. And he would have a French newspaper and sit in the corner of the cafe the next morning. So that, and that sort of feel of it all continued. And it continued on the, when we went and did the, the big massive section, session that had a lot of use in, different marketing and everywhere which was we went to Paris the the following year I think it was yeah well we get on to that we'll share, let's, let's show some of these pictures so this single here is uh, 40 years old now the first Speak Like a Child the first single and obviously the front cover this isn't out on 12 inch I, I, they should have reissued it shouldn't they this year anyway um, didn't come as a 12 inch just as a 7 inch Speak Like a Child the front cover we just had a black sleeve and then on the back your shot, and I think I think it was very intentional. It wasn't. It was going to be a low key sing, single. Remember that all been talked about, so it wouldn't have an image apart from 
when we did the photo sessions, I would, you know, meet up with Paul and we'd talk about it. And, and Simon I also worked quite closely with Simon, who was a designer. And he just had, I would just give him all his photographs to take. And then he had to sort of try and work out how he would use them. And, and I think that he found it quite difficult, the idea. It was just going to be a, a non-image for the Style Council when there was all these photographs. So they, they decided to put one on the back of the sleeve, which is quite good. And that was one photograph which I actually really liked. And in a way, it was, um, it was for me, it was like something different. It wasn't just this idea of capturing a frantic moment of a band playing in a pub or something like that. And it was in the streets. It was always the same thing. I was always making challenges for myself. And it, getting dark, I'd use a long lens, but the whole idea of the long lens and making Paul walking down the street makes it difficult because it's movement and focus and dark and um but it, it, I, I I really like that photograph still I think it stands up as a sort of um slightly fashion type photograph also couldn't look any different from that jam look either right so the and the mac is a consistent in some of these photos i assume that the the next one money go round i've got the 12 inch here um the money go round shot was from the same shoot but actually this was in the uk right yeah 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 it was um i can't remember where it was it was a, it was a tv program the tv program was based in somewhere out of london north of london can't remember what studio it was. It was it was almost like a stately home used as a recording studio. But as as for um, a TV recording studio, not not music recording studio. So that was a photo session where the Still Council had to be there a certain time, certain place. They're going to be there, and everyone's really busy all the time. So they knew that they had to do this. So they would allocate a few hours and say, "Could I come and make some photographs for?" the idea for another session for another single probably and um so we did it in the grounds of the recording studio oh i see so this is this isn't just like a random recreation ground <laughs> no 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 and, and and i think and and it was the idea was to do something a bit sort of light-hearted and a bit fun so it's the idea that um it actually relates back to the the john steed photographs so it's a bit like um you know the avengers it's an, an ambition that and there, there are other shots where they're sort of sneaking around behind hedges and poking out and chasing each other and running up steps of the the, the grounds of the, the garden. They were just all fun. The other thing is that to me it was always quite apparent that in the media, you know, not necessarily within the band and the fans, whatever, but in the media, I think the jam it was always a bit sort of po faced and serious, and Paul was very serious. But it was just it was just brilliant. We did all these photographs. It was just all so much fun and light hearted, and it was just all tongue in cheek all the time. Let's talk about that trip to Paris, which resulted in so many shots that are used throughout album cover, singles, all this kind of stuff, right? So an entourage, you go, and at this point, the Style Council have been revealed. The band are, are, are a band. And Paul had this vision where he was going to go to a different European country. I don't know if you know this, go to a different European country. So next on the agenda was going to be Austria, I think, and they were all going to be in ski suits. But we only ever had A Paris, uh, this incredible EP. But talk to me about the Paris trip. We went to Paris and I, I, I can't remember if we went twice or it was just, it was it was stretched out because there was two reasons why the Style Council passed. They were actually recording record in Paris and they played a gig, a sort of low-key gig in a jazz club. And that was the whole thing about the whole Cafe Blue and, um, and the based on sort of soul and jazz music and blues I suppose and maybe that was just separate there was um, that was the reason why we went there because they were already there and so I went there to, to meet them and then we spent a few you know we did a lot of photographs in Paris but it was all done over a very short time spell it was like a, a morning an afternoon and at night and Paul and Mick could just 
totally professional about it all that they're there they're available and then they leave it up to me to do something we were, we were in the center of paris so then it was just up to me to really work at it and get as many photographs as possible and and try to do things that showed that they were different and they were the style council that they were in paris so there's the images with the eiffel tower and, and probably i mean apart from that one which has got the eiffel tower in the in the background sort of out of focus but that that also went with the whole to me the style of the photographs it was trying to make something different and um there was um one of the probably one of my favorite photographs out of that which was used as one of the large fly posters which were around at the time i think they were sort of illegal but they were there anyway <laughs> and, and there were there was just a there was a few years where the um, record companies put out fly posters all the time and they wouldn't put their names on them because they would get caught or something but they were there and there was a really big fly poster which was um the Eiffel Tower in the background and Paul's shoe in the foreground and his, his hand beside his shoe with his bracelet so you knew exactly that that was Paul Weller but no face. That was instigated by me I suppose and it was just like you know I, I loved fashion photographs although I wasn't doing fashion photographs but um, I loved them and I loved the idea of some of the, the fashion photographers like Irving Penn or William Klein who were not traditional fashion photographers but they made amazing fashion photographs and that's what inspired me I suppose but then also the idea of these other sleeves which were in Paris you know the idea of being at um, you know the Art de Triomphe and um, just at night to make photographs at night and and had that sort of feel of something European and and to me that you know that that feels a bit like it could be sort of Italian style of the ragazzi or something and um, it's that sort of feel of it all. They certainly, got, I mean, they got their money's worth from this, the material, didn't they? You, you said they took a lot, but they used it in so many different places on albums, covers, singles, and that. They actually, this is in, in introducing the Style Count. So this was like a little mini LP that came out, but not over here. It was, in, it was Holland and Japan and then imported. The Japanese version has Paul and Mickey in a poppy field. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, it was. It was, um, and that was, that was a completely spur of the moment thing that we were on a bus coming back from Paris and we stopped. And, and there were just these fields. And, and I'd say, oh, let's go and make some photographs of the fields or something like that. And then it, it just was Paul and Mick larking around in this field. And it could almost be, you could imagine it being something like, um, I mean, it's got, a, it's got a different undercurrent because it's a poppy field. But, you know, you could almost imagine it, it, it just being like sort of a military advert or something. And, and you know, no, nobody would, have, I don't think anyone would have imagined that Paul Weller of the Jam would be lacking around the field like a military advert. And, and I, I think that's brilliant. I think it's so funny. Dennis Monday went on this second trip, yeah. right? Dennis Monday was the first trip too. Oh, okay. He wrote this. I wanted to ask you about this, right? So he was talking about the, uh, where is it? The final night. Can you remember this? So the final night. In Paris. Yeah, yeah. So this is Dennis. So Dennis says it was a good trip. And it summed up the difference between the jam and the style council. On the last night of the shoot, Peter Anderson and I went to an expensive bistro and enjoyed the meal so much that we were late for the session, which was taking place at midnight at the Arc de Triomphe. When we finally arrived, Kenny went into one, cursing us for keeping everybody waiting and had a real go at us. Paul Weller turned to him and said, for fuck's sake, Kenny, give it a rest. This isn't the jam. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> But I guess that's that thing about your, the pressure's off and he's, he's really having fun and he wanted that to come through with all of the crew as well, right? Yeah, and yeah, that, that's what, that, I'd forgotten about that, but that's what I meant about the 
professionalism of him doing it because it wasn't like you know I, I actually met quite a lot of bands and quite a lot of musicians and sometimes it was um, you know oh we got to do this photo session oh I'd rather, I'd rather be smoking a joint I'd rather be doing this I'll, I'll just light up and I'll just sit in the corner and I, I, you know and just like Paul would just like want to make the photograph so that was it we'd actually been out at the, the Eiffel Tower at something like nine in the morning and started making photographs because that photograph you can see it's first light of the morning and then we went and made loads of photographs of sitting around cafes which it seems like oh maybe that's just lazy or something like that but it's not it's to make a really good image and as much as I said this thing about organised snapshots it was just very much of Paul and Mick would be sat at a cafe and there'd be a lot of other people at a cafe but trying to avoid the other people in the photograph and trying to make it look realistic it was all hard work for everyone not just you know not just for me it was hard work for Paul and Mick and whoever so what happened then was we'd start at nine in the morning when there was photographs a lot of photographs and a lot of tramping around central Paris and then that was it we were still to be back out at midnight a bollocking from Kenny Whaler so Dennis Monday made me late (laughs) (laughs) I mean there must be that buzz as well of having your artwork used on singles and albums that are still I mean these you know you don't get this with Spotify with a little thumbnail right so 40 years later we're looking at this artwork and it's funny it's funny just actually thinking about forgetting things like Dennis and me eating a big dinner I forgot about that but then it would just um, yeah so much of it just seemed 40 years ago but I didn't remember it all Did you get to go anywhere else abroad with the Style Council? No, 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 no Uh, We did a lot of photographs around London and whatever but then and walking So there are two video shoots that you attended Yeah Actually talk us through this so this is Solid Bond in your heart obviously Uh, the video Recorded in uh, somewhere we're all going to be, actually, probably everybody in this room at the end of June for a special event on the Style Council and the Jam and that. But this was the video shoot for that, which you, you went along to to take pictures as well, right? The club was set up like a, you know, as a, a club. And then there was, during the video, there was um invited audience and there was um dancing and thing and filmed. And there was also a scenario outside it where there was... um cars and um, scooters and, and you know my part of it was make some photographs at the place so was, you can't make photographs when the video's been shot so it was like in between times I would have to get Paul and Mick to spend some time with me and make some photographs and by that time I'd made quite a lot of photographs with um, Style Council and the more that do I would probably quite like the idea of taking chances and trying to do something different and something that would um, work but would also be inspiring for me and um so i i took a a strange panoramic camera with me which was that the lens moves and it gives a really wide angle lens without distortion a wide angle panoramic image without distortion because the lens moves but if you use it in the wrong way it makes really interesting distortions and that's the sort of thing that i like to do and, and there's some photographs that were made in the car park of paul and mick leaning over a car and it's a bit almost like a sort of spoof of um minder or something and the way that i made the photograph this strange camera and too close and all the car becomes warped and their elbows become warped leaning on top of the car and and, and then there was also these shots which were taken in the in the club it almost becomes quite a sort of abstract shot but that was as a record sleeve was quite intriguing the idea that that simon chose to have that as the that folds but the main part of the photograph you have to open it up really yeah so the so the front of it you just see the fog you don't see in the windows you don't see paul and mick at all and then on the back right yeah then it comes up that they're at the there's a few other photographs in that which i actually still really have and like and you know there's um mick as the dj and then paul's standing in front of the desks and below him and and, and mick's picking all these records and it's just all typical sort of 
brilliant soul music. It's all there. It's all the record labels are there and everything. And do these photos, I mean, they still exist, obviously, this old back catalogue of things that didn't get used, but are they yours? Are they Polydor's? Where do they, are they in Paul's vault? Well, there's a story about that, actually. That um, Basically, all the, the photographs that I made for Star Council, there was never any... I, I was always commissioned per job, per... Or not commissioned per job, I was commissioned on or paid by the usage of them. So if I'd done a photo session, I wasn't paid for doing that, but I was um, then... If they use it as a record sleeve, I'd be paid for the record sleeve. If they use it for press and publicity, I'd be paid a fee for that. So basically, I kept all the, the copyright of them all. I still have all the photographs. But one of the things that happened was that colour photographs were original and they were um, colour transparencies. They were never negatives. They were always colour transparencies at the time. And no one really stopped to make copies of the transparencies. So they were, in hindsight, they were quite sort of valuable, but a lot of them get lost. So over the years, there's been lots of things about um, getting together images for various um, projects, whether it's a you know a best-of CD or a, a reissued sleeve or whatever. And, and obviously, a lot of the stuff followed or marketed would have had, and then they would have lost. But the one thing I always kept was that I kept all the black and white negatives that have all these. But the colour stuff was a problem because, as I said, some of it's transparent and some of it lost. But there was one time when um, Simon half of the designer was trying to round up some photographs for you know a best of box set or something and and couldn't find certain color photographs and he was just hopefully thinking i might just have some where i would have copied them or something i never made copies no one did it was too expensive at the time and um, there was no there was no digital no scanners and it was always rumored that the best photographs all the best color ones were in a suitcase under paul's bed <laughs> <laughs> So that's the question that I'll ask. If okay. you said to me that you would ask me if when you get to interview Paul, the question is, he's still got any of these photographs under his bed? Well, hold on to that. Remember that. <laughs> we're talking about video shoots. You were on the, I think again, round Woking somewhere. This was ever-changing moods. This was the, the cycling video. It was. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't um, walking. It was something in North London. Um, Norwich. Was it? It was Norwich. That sounds right. Yeah. It was quite a bit out of London. I think one of the things that was quite inspiring about it was that it was going to be the cycling video, and um, there was a typical stately home. There was a the avenue which had trees. And the trees looked a bit like maybe French trees, as of um, the Tour de France going up through the trees in the, the French countryside or something. And it was a video shoot which was done, as video shoots get done, they get done and organised, have to be get done, and they have to be done, they're either done. And it was freezing cold and it was wet and windy. And um, <laughs> just, you know, just think of the, again, it's just, you know, the Cell Council, Paul Mick, totally professional. They were there and they would do it. And then and, and the whole video team. So I, I, my, I was Mission to go along and make photographs and try and sneak and, and it was so it was very much a sort of sneak photographs in between all the takes and the video so you know not getting away of the video crew but then trying to make photographs and quite fun there's some photographs which um you know quite funny at the end of the day the whole video was quite the cycling bit was quite sneakily done because the bikes had the front wheels taken off and the forks were bolted onto a trailer behind the car. <laughs> oh, it's for the entire illusion. Paul was pedaling up Box Hill or something. There was one other shoot, which the front cover of the NME, June 1985, might have been one of your last shoots with the Star Council and Paul. I don't know. And there might be a reason for this. This is Weller in the loincloth. 
Remember this? That wasn't last. That was that was that was specifically a, a, an enemy story. I can't remember what journalist did it, but the I uh, but the, the photographs were taken completely separate from the journalist doing an interview. It wasn't anything to do with um, anything for the record company used. It was it was Purely just friendly. the enemy photo shoot. I, it was actually quite good, quite a fun thing. And it was the idea was that we went. I went and um, met Paul and and Paolo, and we went into the woods. And walking and made some photographs and Paul in the loincloth and, um, and it has a lot of, um, war paint and imagery, which was all painted and drawn on him by me and Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> but why? Did this come from, <laughs> was it, was that it? Was this? I mean, can you imagine? Not mine. Persuading <laughs> the guy in the jam, like you say, it was always considered serious. It clearly has a sense of humor, but back then that didn't come across in the media. In his loin club, it like a bit what? I think it was a bit of a sort of um, parody and a bit of um, Lord of the Flies. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine quite a few people here had it stuck on the bedroom when you know the bedroom wall. You know, it's a lovely shot, Paul. But um, but yeah, the, the headline was Weller goes wild in the pop jungle. But but clearly the article itself had no relation to the images whatsoever. And there are a couple of artists that we should talk about as well um, before we go. So I mean, before the Style Council, that you know, so so much of your photography is I mean incredible, like Soft Cell, Depeche Mode, all these incredible bands. There was Marvin Gaye, Madonna. First time Madonna ever came to London. Um, just this is just before holiday. So just before her kind of big first hit, these beautiful, I mean, she looks absolutely stunning, these photos of Madonna. Quite interesting because that was, that was again, just, just bust, really. It was, um, it was a, a case of Madonna was coming and, um, to London and, you know, it's not, not, the, not the most popular act at the time. And probably also it was, it was for me, it was an enemy story. And I don't think enemy... I mean, much, Enemy covered a lot of pop, but it was always sort of indie type pop. So that they didn't cover acts like dance acts to the same extent at that point. And, um, so, so Madonna not being exactly really famous, but you know, everyone, everyone knew and there was a big buzz about her coming to London, I think. And I was commissioned make a photo of Madonna and it was on the day. It was like suddenly I was, it was said something like, Two o'clock. Oh, can you go and, and meet Madonna, Broadway Street, the record company office, and make some photographs? That was it. I got to the um, record company office, and oh, Madonna's not here. She's out. And um, wait around, wait around, and then Madonna comes back from just sort of you know being out in London doing some shopping or something. And um, so I'm introduced to her and said, "Oh, make some photographs." And PR woman had a brilliant idea. She said, "Oh, maybe you could just go up on the roof of the record company office and perfect." And Madonna said, "Oh, can you wait? You know, just wait for a, a little while." And just briefly, she said she wanted to put on some makeup, so she did her own makeup. We went on the roof, and she just danced down the roof for me. So I just made photographs of her dancing on the roof. Brilliant! <laughs> what a job! <laughs> You're getting paid for that. Incredible. Um, the Rolling Stones, Haircut 100, Iggy Pop, Talking Heads. I mean, these artists are just incredible. I need to ask you about Ozzy Osbourne. We mentioned earlier on about how your vision for photography wouldn't always align with a record label and things like that, right? Tell me the Ozzy story. The Ozzy story was, obviously, the way that things worked was that there would be, if, if an act was going to release a record in this country, then there would have to be, um, you know, pre-publicity, pre-interviews to back it all up to introduce it all and you know Ozzy Osbourne's traveling around the world so journalist and photographer sent to meet Oz, Ozzy before he comes 
here. And um, so I was sent with a journalist to um, Sacramento interviewing photographs with Ozzy Osbourne and got there and um, the entourage around Ozzy was um, not very happy that Ozzy wasn't in a very good state and he didn't look very good and he wasn't... Um, he was a nice guy and we, we sat in the bar and had a good laugh with him and had drinks with him. Um, but the, the record company people just didn't want him photographed. They said he didn't look good. So I waited for something like two days and, uh, and eventually <laughs> we decided that no, he would have to be photographed. They would have to do it. So literally, Ozzy was got out of his room and had his you know, some stylist put clothes on him and propped him up and almost had to hold him up <laughs> by the side of the swimming pool. And, you know, and you can tell that it's not what he wanted to do, but at the same time, he would just do it. And stressful for me at the time, but funny sort of afterwards. But I, did, I got a few photographs that I actually quite like that are still existing. I like them, but they... Um, and he, there was still a sparkle out of him because he could slightly forget that he was being ordered into doing this and, and he would just sort of have a laugh and, you know, so it was, it was okay. There was another note, and I said to you before we started, so obviously doing research for the podcast, you get some of these stories. And I, I literally, all I wrote down was Beth Gibbons, Porter's head. And I didn't write down any more than that because I knew that prompt <laughs> would remember the story for, me, for you, right? Well, the story was that, that it was commissioned from a record company to make photographs of Porter's head and it wasn't specifically for a sleeve or any particular marketing campaign. It was just to have some photographs that they could use for marketing and for press. So Portis Head came to my studio at the time and, and it was a studio which um, I lived in and lived in with my, you know, as a family, we had a family house within my studio and it was a, it was an old, um, it was quite, it was like, a, I suppose it's like a, what people call loft living, I suppose. And, um, and there was a lot of space and there was a lot of stuff lying around. And, and it, so there was things that were improvised when we got there. But one of the, one of the things that was, um, didn't instantly gel from a, a record company point of view was that, that Beth had said that she didn't want to be recognizable in the photographs. You know, which is a record company wanting to photograph their act and she doesn't want to be recognisable. So it was almost as if she wasn't going to take part in the photo shoot, but she did. So I had to invent all these ways of trying to make photographs of two of them, but it was mostly Beth and just how to make photographs of her, which she wasn't recognisable, which is actually a challenge and really good fun to do. But, you know, it didn't go down too well afterwards from the record company people. It was my sort of family home in a way and, and um, we decided to do some things that would just be a spoof and a laugh and don't really know quite how it came about but it was decided that um, that Beth might at one point be photographed as if she's being sick <laughs> and I remember I remember mixing up some of the some of my daughter's um, bright bright blue poster paint and yogurt and <laughs> <laughs> and Beth had that in her mouth and it sick and it made a brilliant photograph but I just afterwards I feel so sorry for her that she had this poster paint and yoghurt in her mouth and, and, then, and then there was other photographs where she was pressed her face against some glass and really pressed it and, and, you, and it just really made brilliant images and the other photographs of um, Jeff where he had brought his dog and, and he just spent the whole time um, rifling through my record collection so there's photographs of him looking at all my records with his dog on his lap and it's quite funny it's <laughs> quite sort of a day in the life of people but 
it's not what the record company wanted. And they weren't happy, I don't think. No. <laughs> but there was good photographs, so though. They, they went, you know, gradually these photographs seeped out around the world and different music magazines all over the world. The other thing I should talk about as well, we should mention in terms of the Weller Link. So many of you would have bought the singles, the compilation album, the Respond record label, which is Paul's record label as part of Polydor throughout time. And all those bands, all those acts, you were taking the photographs for them as well. So A Craze, Tracy, The Questions, all that, yeah? Yeah, and I was thinking that, that was, there was, there was, Photographs at that time, which were, it was photographed young musicians who, you know, not used to being photographed. And, um, you know, it was just really quite a challenge and it was quite good to do. And there was definitely sort of feelings which had passed down through Paul and through Simon, designer, and feelings I would have. And, you know, really liked things like um, the images on um, Blue Note records where there's a lot of Blue Note records where they're just everyday scenes on street scenes. It's like um, lots of acts just in, in a street or, you know, running. A, actually, there's some there was running across a field. There's a brilliant photograph of Al Green running across a field in one of the records. And it was just all things like this, but there was something that I suppose thought of as a sort of London image. So I made a whole lot of photographs of with Tracy and it was just in Hyde Park with lots of pigeons round about her and and, and that was quite fun to do, and it's very much sort of a London image. And uh, and then there was there was other photographs of a band called the Craze, and they were all done by the Thames, the Thames Embankment, with all the the sort of feeling of the Thames involved in it all. And so taking that feel of Blue Note records, which very American, and making that sort of London-like, and then the the records would be designed. A bit like a reference would be Blue, to- Blue Note Records. So they were all heavily getting into that type of music as well and influencing the style cuts, right? The sleeve there. Yeah, that one. I mean, that suppose it's that sort of feel of a, a Blue Note record. Yeah. It's just a street scene, but that's one of the Paris photographs. And that actually a bit of photographic involvement in it from me at the end, which is quite good because I used a, a special um, process to tint the photograph blue and it was um, a chemical process you know so it wasn't it's not just printed as a two-tone image um, it actually is a chemically processed blue photograph all oh, right okay so that's the cover of my ever-changing moves the 12 inch version the seven inch is the one with paul with a cigarette and the woolly hat on i think is that right yeah this has been so fascinating um one thing i should uh, i say for people to dig out is not just your portfolio you, you, it seems to me you're a bit like paul not somebody who looks back often you don't do these kind of things right um <laughs> and your um your collection kind of lives with you but you don't even do like exhibitions very often right well but i well i have i have done exhibitions but the exhibitions have been all sorts of different things and i mean i i had exhibitions about i started making trying to make some exhibitions which were about um 12 years ago or something and and i actually still have a dark room and you know a conventional wet dark room well that 12 years ago i actually um made photographs and it was decided i'd make big photographs so i started making large photographs which are about five foot by four foot and um, made them in plywood dishes in the floor of my studio and, and th- so they were exhibited quite a lot of different things went on and um but in saying that about continuing doing things and not always looking back i actually have looked back a lot recently and i suppose one of the things that ha- especially for me i suppose it was um the whole covid thing was having to do something different and i was doing something i couldn't continue doing and i started to make an archive of the photographs i have and um, and spent about i don't know about a year and a half and then i stopped nearly a year ago which i'm about to start again but the, the reason i stopped was a Another reason that the, um, I conscientiously decided to have an Instagram account enthused by daughters, I suppose. And I made an Instagram account and it was p- 
purely to make an archive of my photographs of mostly musicians and that I'd photographed in the 1980s. And I did it for about a year and a half and I posted up at least three photographs every day for a year and a half or something like that. And, um, That's a big commitment, so keep that up. <laughs> yeah. Then I stopped. About a year ago, I stopped. But I'm going to start again. So it, me- it meant that I organised and have this start of this, built up of this archive. Okay. It is there on an Instagram account, which is um, peteranderson.photos. And do you think there'll be an opportunity at some point for you to share some of the Style Council stuff that we haven't seen? Probably. Well, unless it's under Paul's bed, we'll go to Yeah, there's some of it under his bed, I think, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, I, 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 think, I, I don't think I'd really got around to doing very much of the style counselling on his Instagram account, but that'll come that'll be the next batch. Hey, look, man, this has been so lovely chatting with you. Um, I should also encourage people to dig out the short film that exists as well called Available Light. And to you, this is one thing I should ask you about, because often you'd like to work with the Available Light. That's the whole point, right? It's like not the flash not you know manipulating it's whatever's there i think i think that's what the point was i was trying to i didn't explain it very well but there's that thing about going to gigs and i only wanted to have a camera i didn't want to go with the big silver case and all that stuff and when i first started going out making photographs it was very much a conscious thing that i would have a camera and i had a denim jacket and i could put the camera in one pocket and the lens in the other pocket and that was fine I suppose I had a film, one film somewhere. <laughs> and I'd also go out and out, that's the other thing, which it was quite noted once. And one journalist made a big thing about it. He couldn't believe the fact that I would go out to work with him and I would take a roll of film. I wouldn't take a box with six rolls of film or 10 rolls of film or 25 rolls of film. I'd have a roll of film. And we went out once to make some photographs. And, and he suddenly said to me, oh, we've got two jobs today. So you only get half a roll of film for each. We went and we met a band called Vice Versa, who on the day we met them changed their name to ABC. And um, so I made some photographs of them outside an ABC cinema. Quick thinking, God, on the same day. And uh, and then and then we went to a butcher's shop in Soho and made and made some photographs of a, a, a Scottish band called the Fire Engines in the butcher's shop on the counter, <laughs> behind all the meat and the Scotch beef. <laughs> <laughs> One roll of film and worked. <laughs> Two questions for you before you go. Right, so you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be The Jam, The Style Council, or Solo. What are you going to go with? I think Money Ground. Ah, why that one? Like the sentiment of it. You got more as well for that because you get the part one and part two. It's a longer thing, right? Is that, and I guess that was the first one where your photo was on the cover, like the front cover. Uh, might have been, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, final question. So the purpose of this podcast is to chat to the lovely people like yourself who've got these amazing stories, these experiences, with Weller, the Jam, the Style Council, whatever, right? But it's really being honest. It's for me to get the interview with Paul Weller that I never managed during my radio career. It was my one big regret, so much so that I created a podcast that's now led to live events, all kinds of things. But we still need that interview with Paul Weller. Well, I hope you get it. Well, if it happens, what should I ask him? <laughs> I think I know what's coming. Has he still got some photographs under his bed? <laughs> I, 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 think it, I think it would be, it'd be quite good to ask him if, you know, for me, for me, it'd be quite good to if he you know, has memories of things like being out in Paris and making photographs. Did he have fond memories of that? Because I have. Yeah. And I think, I think we did. I think we all liked doing it. And yeah, yeah and just how they all got used. I mean, obviously, for Paul, it was very much 
it wasn't just about the music, it was about a whole vision, I think. But, you know, obviously for him, the music's an important thing. And I just, it'd be quite interesting to know that, you know, the thing about the comment is if Kenny was not happy about me turning up late for the photo session at midnight, would Paul like doing all that? I'd love to Time to stand bollocks. beside these fountains in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to know how many bollockings Paul Weller's had from Kenny Wheeler over the year for be- years for being late, wouldn't you? <laughs> Kenny Wheeler broke one of my sofas. <laughs> <laughs> How? <laughs> Kenny is a god. <laughs> we love Kenny. He's been on the podcast as well. The only time he's ever talked to anybody about any of it, I think. Hey, look, this has been so lovely. Please give it up for my very special guest, Peter Anderson. <laughs> <laughs>